0: Hey, well, good morning, everybody. You know, after a worship set like that, I just have to say, way to go. Come on, that was incredible worship, wasn't it? Like when you're a pastor and worship like that happens, a couple of things go through your mind. First of all, the pressure's off because they just set you up. You could, no matter what I say, is going to be a win, right? Um, but also now the pressure may be on because I got to live up to that. But we are in this series of talks around this 10-year vision uh, called X Multiply. Let's all say that together, X Multiply multiply and we've just crafted this vision to look ahead 10 years in honor of the 2000 year anniversary of the Great Commission and as we look ahead 10 years we wanted to craft something that was obviously a vision and a picture for our church but also was a vision and a picture for our lives individually and I really believe that when we stand in 2033 and we look back over the 10 years that we spent it's gonna be a decade well spent amen like, Have you ever looked back on a decade and be like, yeah, that could have gone better for me. That was terrible, right? And so we really believe we'll look back and be like, man, we may have gotten some things wrong, and we may have not, things won't always go our way, but we will have spent our lives in a worthy cause and lived a life worthy of respect. Y'all talk to me, amen? And so, so this is part of how uh, we're crafting this vision. Last week, last week we talked about prayer. Okay, We talked about prayer and we just talked about this reality that we want to be a house of prayer, but more importantly, we wanted our homes to be homes of prayer. And we just had this challenge that um, we would step into the first 30 minutes of every day just by praying. And I saw a lot of people around town this week and people would say things like, yeah, you know what? I didn't quite make 30 minutes this morning, but seeing you, obviously the Lord wanted me to pray longer. So I'm going to pray more. And then there were some people that says I had to back it down to 30 minutes because I'm real important and I pray a lot already. Um, but really to hear the stories about prayer and i have to believe that when we pray like that our families will be better and we'll be better at work we will be better followers we will be better salt and light in our community we will be able to live the life that we want now now the idea behind x multiply and that's that's the first vision we the first initiative and we have to get that one right that's first we can't give we can't have a vision of our life or a vision for our church without being a house of prayer now now the second one is just kind of is that we're talking about today is just multiplying disciple-makers, because we want to be a multiplying disciple-making movement. We want to be a multiplying disciple-making movement. If you have any question about what is happening in X multiply, it can be boiled down right here. We are a multiplying disciple-making movement. Now, now here's what I know about people and people that I talk to. Man, people are tired of Christianity as usual. People are tired of self-help Christianity And, man, they're fed up with tips and techniques to get my best life now. What I see people is they want Christianity to come alive. They want to have some power in their life. They want to know that it makes a difference every day. They want to know that there's something transcendent that they're living for. And that's why we want to be a multiplying disciple-making movement. You know, you should have a, a vision book that you can get in the back of the room. Actually, I have one right here. A vision guide and it goes through every initiative it tells great stories Um, it also has study guide for you and you can take notes on here every single week and it has a synopsis of uh, this particular initiative number two 10,000 disciple makers trained through Equipex and I just want to hit the highlights of that just for time's sake but you can go and you can read through that Um, but we believe that if we get number one right House of Prayer, number two, right? We're multiplying disciple makers that everything else will flow. Like that we'll get eight more for the price of two. And who does it like a discount? Come on, somebody, right? We love that. Let me just, let me just kind of give the, the high level overview and then walk through it for us today. We want 10,000 disciple makers trained through Equipex. I'll get to that and unpack that. Equipex is a discipleship formation journey that helps people know Jesus by teaching them to be with Jesus. Follow Jesus to become like Jesus and lead others to do the same to advance Jesus' kingdom. Equip X will become the driving force behind everything that we do. Prayer is the engine driving this movement, but equip X is the frame. We see who's your three becoming a common question that disciple makers ask each other. You know, and so we want you to be a part of this type of initiative. Now, again, going back to the Great Commission, Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, you're to go and what? Make disciples. You're to make disciples. He didn't say gather big crowds, even though that happens a lot of times as an overflow. He doesn't say, hey, be a good person. He doesn't say, hey, be nice. He doesn't say, hey, make moral people. He says, make disciples. And what has tended to happen, it happens in my life and possibly in yours and throughout churches is we take the great commission, the command, this demand that Jesus gives us, and we turn it into the great suggestion. And it becomes optional in our life when it actually is the purpose that we were created for. Neil Cole is a church growth strategist, and he says this. He says, Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, and ours is pretty darn good. Come on, somebody, right? Ours is pretty good. Doesn't matter your preaching, I'm not gonna pat myself on the back. Doesn't matter your programs. And it doesn't matter how good your property is. And we have a fantastic piece of property. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Make disciples. I believe that the personal, the great fulfillment of your life will be in making disciples. Listen, you are not here by accident. God didn't just plant you on this earth to kind of get through your career, to retire early and just land safely on the shores of your beach house. God, God didn't put you here just to raise your kids to have a better life than you had, you had which hopefully they will. That's not your purpose in life. Like God didn't put you here just to make your dad proud or your mom proud. God put you here to pour out your life for the benefit of other people and to make disciples. Listen, you are a disciple maker. The question is, what kind of disciples are you making? You're having influence, you're, having, you're forming people, and you're, you're having input in their lives. Like what kind of disciple are you making? Now you may be saying, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Listen, if you're not ready to be a disciple maker, then we want you to be a disciple. I'm gonna point out exactly what that can look like. Let me start off with this question. What am I going to do with this one life that I have? How am I going to live this one life that I have? What is the outcome of this one life that I've been given? What's the vision for this one life that God has given me? It is, should be to make disciples. Let me just jump into our text today. In uh, verse 13, Mark chapter 3, verse 13, you should, if you can, turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Um, and you could bring it every Sunday. Take some notes. Go back and look at it throughout the week. But in Mark chapter three, let's watch what's happening. It says that Jesus went to the mountain and he called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. So, 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 so here's what's happening. Last week we unpacked this a little bit. Like Jesus is going to choose twelve. Now he has prayed all night long, and he goes to the mountain. Mountain is generally in the Bible where you know big things happen, special things happen, and he's gone. He has been with the crowds. Okay, if you were to read the stories that have happened before, one of the titles says a great crowd follows Jesus. Like He has gone, he has seen hundreds, he has seen thousands begin to follow him. He has got the reputation, he has got the momentum, he is moving forward. And Jesus, instead of going bigger, what does he do? Jesus goes smaller. Watch what happens. It says he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And now what we see right here is he is going to commission them to go and do the things that he was doing. They had seen him doing these things, preaching, casting out demons. We don't have any indication. He gave them a course or a a webinar on how to cast out demons or how to preach. They saw him do it. So this is what they're going to do. And then he says this, as he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. So Simon gets a nickname. That's pretty cool. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. He gives them nicknames. Hey, how many guys would love the nickname sons of thunder? Hello, somebody. <laughs> Come on, like incredible. <laughs> love that. So, they, so you have three that get nicknames. Then he goes on. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So Jesus takes the, the crowd He boils it down, focuses on the 12, and then what? Three. Jesus spends the most time with the three. As we look throughout the rest of this particular portion of Scripture that's written by Mark, we see that these three bubble up over and over and again. When Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane on his way to be executed, he takes with him three to pray, Peter, James, and John. Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration just before he goes to his execution as well. And he has this encounter with God. He takes three people with him. And Jesus takes this crowd and he makes it, he goes small because he knows this is the traction that he's gonna need. He knows this is gonna be the fuel. He knows that life on life discipleship training is what's gonna stand the test of time. How else do you explain a movement of some ragtag followers of Jesus in a small postage stamp size uh, country in the world, turned the world from nobody knowing Jesus around 33 AD when the Great Commission was given to roughly 300 years later, taking over most of the known Roman world, discipleship. Jesus got face to face, he gave people access to his life. This is how he got traction for the movement. And just to define what Jesus did, Intentional life together to know and follow Jesus. Intentional life together to know and to follow Jesus. You know, there's one, they walked with him and talked with him. They knew his habits. They had access to his life. They knew how, you know, his sleep patterns. They knew if he snored or not, quite honestly. They knew his eating habits. They knew how he handled conflict. They knew how he handled care. They all got that just from being around him. Like one of the questions I'll ask our interns regularly is like, "Hey, what did you learn this week that nobody taught you?" In other words, what did you pick up on? Like, what did you see somebody else do? There are a lot of times that this will happen as uh, I'll see someone interact not on our staff, right? And they'll have a marriage interaction or a parenting interaction. I'll grab one of our staff guys. I'll say, that's how you don't do it. Like, don't, don't ever do that. That is not right, right? Here's how you do it. Because you catch things from people. You understand what they're doing. You see them live it out. And so we have two environments for that. What we, one we call equip and one we call equip X. Now, Dallas Willard says this. He has two questions that every person has to ask. What is our plan for making disciples? And is that plan working? Like, what's our plan, and is that plan working? I just want to briefly talk about the the tactical uh, plans that we have. Number one, we have Equip. Now, Equip is a ten week journey, and in that journey, you find out how to do three things. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, you learn how to pray, and number three, you learn how to share the gospel. You learn what the gospel is and how to share the gospel. And if I, I could, I could spend the whole my whole time up here telling stories that have come out of Equip. And so I'll start with 16 or 17, just to get us warmed up. One that I'll tell you, the very first equip group that I led, a guy shows up um, and he was in his mid 60s and he had grown up in a pastor's home in a certain mainline denomination. And so when he shows up to our equip formation process, he comes up to where we were meeting and he walks in the room and he's got a Bible and it's still wrapped in cellophane and he's unwrapping it. And this man in his 60s, looking forward to retirement, this man who grew up in a pastor's home. This man who grew up going to church and never owned a Bible. And in that moment, he, we, we taught him how to read the Bible. He's moved out of state. I still get texts from him about his men's group, the things that he's doing, the way God has just unleashed purpose in him. Like, this is the power of Equip. So if you haven't been through Equip, like, your first step is to get through Equip. Let's all say Equip together. Equip. We got, well, that was so terrible. I just caught y'all off guard. I know, I'm so sorry. That was on me. Let's all say equip together. Equip. equip. So that's, now, what, what I read just about, uh, just a minute ago about what X multiply is gonna cover is um, equip X. Because you put an X on something, it's always better, isn't it? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, and so equip X will be a one-year journey, a one-year discipleship journey with one person leading it. And guess how many disciples? Three. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Just, we just saw why. So we'll walk through EquipX Now, it does have some curriculum, for lack of a better word, some curriculum. But also, what happens in real discipleship is life on life. It's not always organized. Sometimes it's organic. Sometimes it's just having access into someone else's life. You know, when you mentor someone, you're teaching them a skill. They'll ask you a question. You'll meet with them. They'll help you come up with a solution. But when you disciple someone, it's life on life. Life on Life. And this is what Jesus taught us. This is how Jesus modeled us. Listen, you will always be a lesser version of yourself by yourself. You will always be a lesser version of yourself by yourself. If I were to do a poll today and say, do you want to be a lesser version of yourself? I don't think people would raise their hand because we don't want to, we don't want to be a lesser version of ourselves on purpose. Now it can happen, but you will always be a lesser version of yourself by yourself. People have always made us better. Don't you know this? Like how many of you can think back right now and be like, "Yeah, that person made me better." Anybody have a coach, a teacher, a spouse? I can remember. Like you can apply this uh, to exercise. Like when you get in the gym, if you have a training partner, it's just going to be better. You're going to lift harder because you're trying to show off. You're going to show up on time. I can remember when I when I was in college. I come out of high school. I played sports, and when I got to college, I'm like, I am never getting in the gym. And, Again. Right. I mean, you had to get up early for those workouts, two a days. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And so eventually I realized that's bad for your body and bad for your health. So I had a friend of mine that went to the same college and he had played on the football team. So like he knew, he knew how to work out. So we would meet every morning at 5 a.m. And it was one of those guys like, if we didn't get close to being nauseous, we feel like we didn't work out hard, you know? And so we would work out and we worked out every Monday through Friday, we would work out and grind. And even now, decades later, I still have this mentality and I don't work out that hard, but I still get in the gym. I still have those habits. Why? Because I had somebody with me to help me. And we need someone to help our lives look like Jesus. We all have blind spots. Man, we all have blind spots. We all need someone who's just a little bit ahead of us with a little more wisdom and a little more experience that we'll actually listen to. Someone who cares about us, doesn't care about being right. Man, we have enough people in our life who just want to point out our, 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 where we, our faults, don't we? We've got enough people want to say, yeah, you got that wrong. Like, you shut up. You don't care. We need people to help us live life like Jesus wants us to live. Question, who in my life is helping my life look like Jesus? Who in my life is helping my life look like Jesus? As I look back over the years, I can know when I first came to Christ, there was a friend of mine. He would just ask questions all the time, talk to me about the Bible, talk about things happening in marriage, talk about things that are happening at work, and frame it up forming me to think like Jesus wants me to think. We need people in our lives to help us look like Jesus. Grab this card. It's in it's in the back of your seat right in front of you, if everybody would just grab the card just real quick. Because we're a discipling church, I just want to help you right now. You'll notice there's a discipleship self-assessment. And so you can put your name on it. We'll, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rank yourself? And just walk through, like, how healthy are your relationships? Do you have any? That would be a starting point. Um, how well do you know the gospel? Let me ask you this question. Like, what if, what if you're the last Christian on earth and someone shows up at your doorstep? Would you know what to say or what to do with them? Would you know how to handle them? Would you know how to help the movement continue going forward? How well do you know the gospel? How equipped do you feel to share the gospel? How often do you have gospel conversations? How well do you know the Bible? How often do you read the Bible? How much do you enjoy reading the Bible? And then prayer. How intimate is your prayer life? How consistent is your prayer life? How powerful is your prayer life? And you'll notice there's a barcode number three in the red for you to get an equip. That is the move for most people today is to get in equipped so you can learn what it means to be a disciple who can turn into a disciple maker. So that's kind of how it would look like. One people one people, yeah, that's good. One person, three people in a process to help them look like Jesus meeting every single week. Now, why is that? Why would we double down on discipleship? Why is now the time for this? Why is this so critical and crucial? Let me just point out. Number 1, it's Jesus way. Man, this is Jesus' way. It's the way that he led the movement, and it's the command he told us to to, to fulfill. We are to make disciples. Now, when Jesus was with the the disciples, and specifically the 12, but then down to the three, it's estimated that if you just kind of counted up the number of hours that he would have spent with them, it's around 10,000 hours. Okay, now, some of you have read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, who says 10,000 hours is the number of hours you need to be proficient at something. I don't know if those things all go together or not. But 10,000 hours is how, many time, how much time they would have spent with Jesus. This was Jesus' way. Man, this is how he fa- fueled the movement. We all need discipling. Man, we all need discipling. Like, the best time, the best time to get disciples is when you're young. It's when you're young. Now, I get it. If you're young, you probably have, like I count somebody young who's got small kids, climbing that career ladder, stepping over baby gates, changing diapers, right? You're young. You don't feel like you have enough time. Now's the best time so so we can stop you from making a bunch of mistakes. Just kidding. Don't want to do that. But when you're young, you know the second best time to be discipled? Right now. Right now. How does it go for us? Lord, I just didn't know how. Right now. That's the best time just to highlight how important this is to Jesus. In the Bible, the word pray is used 127 times. Now, I think we all agree prayer is really important. I think we know Jesus said it was important. This is how many times the word is used, 127 times. The word love, the great command, 230 times. The word disciple or disciples, 269 times. Like it's pretty important in the Bible. We can't lose sight of the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. In a few, in a few months, in February at some point, there's gonna be this big sporting event known as Super Bowl 58. Anybody gonna watch the Super Bowl? Anybody thinking about the Super Bowl? Now, at the Super Bowl, just, just if you've watched the Super Bowl, know anything about it, you don't even have to like football. That's totally fine, weird, but fine. Um, now, nah. think about it, man. There's just all this hype that goes around it. It's a week-long festival. And there's concerts and there's games and there's superstars that show up. And there's commercials that cost millions of dollars. And then the day of, there's, you know, the Star Spangled Banner and the flyover with the military jets. And then there's some halftime show and some, you know, superstar is going to, you know, perform at halftime show. And everybody's going to wonder. And it's just all this hype. And then there's the food that we all eat. <clears throat> all that happens. And then eventually what happens is the person who walks away is the winner is the person who gets the football over the goal line more times than the other team. Eventually, it boils down to the score. And what we see in Jesus' life is eventually it boils down to discipleship. Man, this is Jesus' way. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples. Now, that's the first reason why discipleship. It's the Jesus' way. Second reason, we just have a crisis of poor spiritual formation you know we, we we're all being formed by something at all times I think I think we we know that and culture is doing a fantastic job of forming us I was talking to a friend of mine this week and they were just coming back from Disney and they have small kids and he was just talking about how good Disney is at discipling our kids you notice this and sometimes we l- give them a screen and let them do it. But we just need to wreck. And I'm not blaming Disney for it. This is not a political statement. They're doing what's going to make them money. And that's their goal is to make money. And they're discipling our kids. Parents. More than building their resume. More than that corporate job they get. More than that college they get into. You have to disciple your kids. That's your job. Like, I just want to let them figure it out. Man, I just want to let them do it on their own. You don't do that with anything else in their life, do you? They get up for breakfast. Hey, could I have a donut? No. You're going to have a banana. Because <laughs> you are in charge of them. Disciple your kids. And let me take it a step further just while I'm in the mood. <laughs> Dads. Dads. It's your job. It's your job. Disciple your kids. You can do it. If you don't think you can do it, we can help, but you'll be so glad that you did being formed by culture. Let me ask this. Where did you learn some things? Where did you learn about money? Uh, Who discipled you about money? Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, somebody else, Warren Buffett. If he did, we need to talk. Somebody discipled you about money and it's made you either generous or selfish Generous or greedy? Like, who discipled you with money? Gosh, I feel like it's just so hard right now. Can y'all just laugh one time real quick? (laughs) Thanks. Because this one's going to get you. Who discipled you in the area of sex? Like, is it culture? Is it a magazine? Did you just find some porn in your dad's bathroom when you were in middle school and y'all had some giggles over it? And that's formed you about sex? Is it what you watch on the internet? What forms you about, about how to be a parent? What, what formed you about how to be married? Like we're all being formed and most of the time, if we're honest, it's just unintentional. It just happens to us without us thinking about it. Like who formed you? We get to choose. Man, the news forms us, sports forms us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but most sporting leagues now, yes, they have sports, but they're also forming you in your political opinion and your moral view. Like how, I don't, probably a lot of NFL watchers in here today you're gonna watch the NFL today, and you should do that, right? But but notice how they're trying to form you beyond the sport of football. Why? So they can make money. I'm not even saying that's bad. They're very honest about their goal, but we just need to acknowledge and understand how we're being formed because it's dangerous for our soul. There's a sociologist, Felicia Wu Song. She's a, at University of Rhode Island. She wrote. A longer quote than this, I'm going to kind of, I've taken some liberty to condense it. It says, the more we demand our brains to attend to being productive, the less our brains are able to grow us as persons in key areas of identity construction and empathy. So what she means by that is, as long as our devices are, are just used to squeeze one more second out of the day, one more task off the task list, one more dollar out of our investments, as long as we're always producing, what happens is we become, we become doers and we're not be, being. We don't know who we are and we don't know how to relate to other people. We have no identity and we have no empathy. And this is what happens when we're so focused on production. Now I'm all about production. I love producing. I love at the end of the day to feel like I accomplished a lot. I think most people do. But if we lose who we are in the midst of that, we lose. We lose. Now, so we have Jesus' method. Man, we are, we are being formed spiritually and there's a crisis. Third thing of why discipleship. It's just the power of multiplication in general. Man, I think we just, I, I get it. It's really obvious if we think about it. But let me just walk through a couple of illustrations. So there's that old high school question that we had. Would you rather have a million dollars today or one penny every day doubled for 30 days? So a million dollars today, or if you get a penny on day one, double it. Day two, you get two pennies, right? Day three, you get four pennies and so on until you get to day 30. Which one would you choose? Well, you could, if you, you could choose a million dollars or if you got the penny, you would have 5,368,700 and something dollars and 12 cents. That's the power of multiplication power multiplication. Another example, I'm gonna put up the largest worship center in the state of Georgia. (laughs) Now, there's roughly eight billion people in the world. Now you can fill up Sanford Stadium every day for a year. And let's say you filled it up, preached the gospel, and 20% of people began to follow Jesus, 20%. Over the course of a year, you would see roughly eight million people you know, just round numbers. Eight million people come to know Christ. At that rate, it's going to take a 1,000 years to reach the world. 1,000 years. However, if you disciple one person this year and then both of you discipled and doubled and you continue to double just like that, you would reach the world in 32 years, in a generation. This is the power of multiplication. Listen, our culture gets multiplication. i want to read a coaching tree um, of, of someone who's fairly successful. His name's Nick Saban. I, d- no, don't, don't boo me. Um, but, but just the coaching tree and the influence of someone like Nick Saban Jimbo Fisher, who's the head coach at A&M. Lane Kiffin, who's the head coach at Ole Miss. Dan Quinn, who led the Falcons to a Super Bowl. Mario Cristobal, who's the head coach at the University of Miami. Mike Loxley, who's the head coach at Maryland. Billy Napier, who's the head coach at Florida. Josh McDaniel, who's the head coach of the Las Vegas NFL team. Brian Dayball, who's the head coach at the New York Giants. Steve Sarkeesian, who's the head coach at the University of Texas. All work for Nick Saban. Did I forget one? Kirby Smart. Yes, I did. University of Georgia, all from one person. This is the power of multiplication. Let me just paint the picture for you. If you disciple three people next year, and, and let's just get rid of perfect math. Let's just say this. You disciple three people, and one of those three goes on to multiply and disciple another person. One, okay? And then you get another three. And so for every group of three, only one multiplies. Only one. Only one multiplies. At the end of 10 years you would have discipled 5,301 people. Like that is influence. Face-to-face, life-on-life, the power of multiplication. All right, let's move a little bit into the what of discipleship. The what of discipleship. Now now in this moment, when we go, let's go back to the text in Mark chapter 3. Jesus went to the mountain. He called those to him whom he desired, and they came to him. He called them to him. So many people are like, I want to know my calling in life. Hey, your calling is to follow Jesus. Like, and not just as some pastor, or some super spiritual Bible thing, just because you're in church today. He is an upgrade to every part about your life, right? Like, let me just read a little bit in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So everything finds its beginning in Jesus and its end. And its end. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Do this for a second. Just take a little breath. Jesus, he holds that together. All the molecular functions going on in your body right now, Jesus, all those thoughts you're having right now, I don't know if that's Jesus, but probably Jesus. He is everything. Everything comes together in him And the passage, goes on to finish out painting this picture that he is preeminent. This is where your calling is found. Now, the way that we define discipleship around here is to know Jesus, follow Jesus, lead others to do the same. Know Jesus, follow Jesus, lead others to do the same. You're gonna see that a lot. We've got some piercing clarity around that. So, so we see that. In this passage, he calls Peter and James and John and the the 12 that come with him to be with him. In other words, to know him. That is is what he's calling them into, highs and lows. He's calling them to know him, to be with him. That's how you know someone is to be with somebody. In Acts chapter four, I, I wouldn't even tell the story, but I just love it so much. In Acts chapter four, so Peter and James and John, they're... You know, Jesus has gone into heaven. They're preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus. Some of the religious leaders don't like it. And so they get arrested. And this is they have him on trial there and they're telling him, hey, you should stop preaching this. And they're like, under, there is salvation and no wonder else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Like, in other words, no, we're not going to stop. And then they say this. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, meaning the religious authorities, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They hadn't been to rabbi school. They were not the cool kids. They said they were uneducated and common. They were astonished. And they recognized what they had been with Jesus. This is where their power came from, to know Jesus. How well do you know him? right? Or how well would you say you know him? Like, not at all. I'm just figuring this thing out. Or no, I just come because I come with a friend or I come with a spouse or I come with my family. Or yeah, I think I know him pretty well. I know a lot of things about him. Like, how well do you know him? You find out about him, number one, through the Bible, right? Through the Bible. As Sven, you read earlier, man, this isn't a weapon to hurt people, but a lifeline to save them. This is the written word that points to what? The living word. This is what the Bible does. The Bible is not just basic instructions before leaving earth. It's cute as that acronym is. This Bible points to Jesus in every facet, in every way. This is how you get to know him. God's spirit, his active presence in our life, Jesus tells us that it, tells, it bears witness of him that the Holy Spirit is going to tell us who Jesus is. This is how we know him through the Bible and through prayer and by spending time with him. How well, how well do you know him? Knowing Jesus, following Jesus. Now following Jesus is just like good old-fashioned obey. You know, we don't like that. How many rule followers in the house today? How many of you guys, you love rules. You're like, I'm all about it. Yeah. Like, and and you're really the rule followers because you actually raised your hand. There's some who are, but they're, they don't want to raise their hand because they're not really rule followers. Some people hate rules, but here's what nobody likes. We don't want some meaningless list of do's and don'ts. We don't want some meaningless laws, meaningless rules, things that don't matter. But we do have some things that are given for us that we're to follow Jesus' words for us. Why? Because that's what is good for us. Man, this idea of obeying. And there's several different kind of followers. There are people like I described earlier, man, you're not a follower. You're just out. You could be, and you may be antagonistic or you may even be receptive, but you know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not following Jesus. You know, there's a, another, another, another category of people is just um, cultural followers. You're, you're, you're cultural Christians, we, and we have a lot of these just because of where we live. You grew up going to church and you went with, you like youth group. A lot of times I'll ask people about their church experience. Hey, have you been, how long have you been following Jesus? Well, I went to youth group when I was in high school. You know, we, we know some of the things. You've got some Hobby Lobby quotes on your walls. You know, pretty cool. But, but Jesus is just not a priority. He's not at the center of your life if you examined your life. Like, like for me last week to say give 30 minutes of your life to him, you know, the 30 minutes every day, like, I'm busy, man. Like, why would I do that? I don't need anything. If I have a problem, I'll, I'll do that. But right now life's good. So that's called a cultural follower, cultural follower. There's also consumer follower. Man, what's in it for me? Right? Like what's in it for me? How can I live my best life now? Like, is this going to help my marriage get better? Is this going to help me manage my money better? Am I going to have more money? Am I, am I going to have more stuff? Am I going to have a richer, fuller life? And not that those things are, aren't concerns for everybody, but that really becomes the driving force of our lives. So we kind of cut and paste Christianity. This is what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and he pulled out everything. I think we have a picture of the Jefferson Bible. Um, you, can, you can notice that got little holes, Put everything that was miraculous or that he didn't like, he just took a razor blade and cut it out. Actual picture. And he just created this philosophy to live by. Cut and paste Christianity. And we, ha- we have a lot of that. But then we also have committed Christians. People who just, they don't get it right. They're not perfect, but, but they're in. Like it's, their life revolves around it. They really believe that Jesus died and it was that significant that they need to give their lives to it. When, when Jesus says, when it says in this passage, it says in verse 13, it says, Uh, He he called those to him whom he desired, and they came to him. Right? They came to him. And the implication of how this looks in their world, they had to leave some things behind. We see stories of when James and John, the sons of thunder, when they were called, it says that they were fishermen, and they're fishing with their dad, and they're fairly successful, it seems. Got a family business, it seems. It says they left their nets to follow Jesus. And here is a message that I think we miss out on in our culture and in Christianity today. Man, there's a cost. There's a cost. I mean, we want to paint the great picture of it and your life's going to be great and if you're sick, you're going to get healed and if you need some money, you're going to get rich and all these things. Hey, there's a cost. But the benefit it's so massive and eternal that the cost in the end of the day doesn't really matter. But listen, as you begin to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you. Let me just be honest. There are some people that are going to look at you and call you some names. There are some people that are going to look at you and think that you're uh closed-minded and a bigot. There are people that are going to look at you and think things about you. You just have to be willing to count the cost for that. Now, some of you, you know what? It may be you don't get to upgrade your house like you wanted to, or you may not get to spend time on a vacation because you got to give your time helping somebody else for the kingdom, but it is so worth it. Can somebody say amen right there? Man, it is so worth it. Man, when Debbie and I decided to go into, uh, uh, man, when we decided to go into ministry, and felt like God was calling us into ministry. I went in and I was working in an insurance company at the time. I'll never forget, I'm sitting across the table From my boss, and I tell him what's happened, and he kind of leans over the table and he looks me in the eye and he says, Are you sure about that? I'm like, What do you mean? Am I sure? I mean, it's going to cost you, but the benefit is so good. Someone asked me once, They'll ask, Hey, what do you think you gave up? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe prison? I don't know. Maybe maybe I gave up getting divorced. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think if I could paint a picture, as we sang just a minute ago, of how good the Lord is. Come on, somebody. How good the Lord is. So yeah, it's going to cost you. And it's easy to give up the dark things in your life. It's easy to leave those behind, isn't it? Yeah, I'll give up that, that, that bad character flaw, or I'll give up that bad habit, or I'll let the Lord take that addiction. Man, but it's the good things that you think are good, that you don't have the vision and faith to see into the future. Those are the things that sometimes you may have to give up to but let me just tell you, it is so far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. It may cost you, but you're going to be so glad that you left it behind. Let me ask you, what do you need to leave behind today? What do you need to leave behind? What, what, what net you need to leave behind? What simple behavior you need to leave behind? What, what good thing that's just only for your own comfort, what do you, what do you need to leave behind today? And that's discipleship. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And then the last phrase in that sentence, lead others to do the same. Lead others to do the same. There's a passage in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It says this, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And man, in that verse, you know what I see? I see something that we all want. We all want someone to show us the way when we don't know the way, don't we? We all want someone to show us the way. How many moms are in here today? How many moms? Right? I just want you to think back to when you had that first child. And you're in the hospital room and they let you ride out in a wheelchair. That's the only time you'll ever get pushed around for the rest of your life, you know. And you come down and your husband comes around or whoever's picking you up comes down. And they've got the car seat in the car. And the nurse comes down and then you put the baby in the car seat and you get in the car and close the doors and you turn and roll your window down to the nurse and like, aren't you coming with us? Like you're trusting me with a baby, like a human being. And you just had this sense of what in the world am I doing? What is happening right now? And maybe you had somebody to call, maybe you had a mom to call, but many people don't have anybody to call. We want someone to show us the way. Guys, we want someone to show us the way. Listen, I love YouTube, you know, but it's fathering a generation. And guys need guys to show them how to do guy stuff. They need to be able to rub elbows with guys and guys to show us how to do things. There's just something that happens in this life on life. We need someone to lead us and we need to be that for somebody else. There's this quote I stumbled on once or maybe I made it up, I don't know. But it says, it says I, I am looking, and this is me, Stephen, Stephen Gibbs, I'm looking for the man I never found. Why is that? Because we, we all have this desire to be somebody, and we just want someone to show us how to get there. Amen? We need somebody to show us how to get there. And some of you, it's criminal what you're hiding from the world. I mean, you've got so much to offer and so much to give and so much wisdom to have and so much spiritual formation for people. I mean, don't keep that to yourself. And we, we want to lead others to do the same. How did Christianity survive? all the onslaught it took from governments and other religions to become this massive, powerful, life-changing movement came through discipleship, came through discipleship. One of the first books I read was written by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Bonhoeffer, um, the first two books I read, one was um, Desiring God by John Piper, and that's a heavy read for for a new Christian And then there's a cost of discipleship written by Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was 29 in 1935. He was in the middle of Nazi Germany. He started this underground seminary called Finkelwald, a disciple-making movement. He led one of the greatest disciple-making movements of the last 150 years. And and I have a picture of Bonhoeffer with his ragtag group of disciples. If you look at them, you can just see, man, if you just looked at them, you wouldn't think they were world changers. And you can see this guy on the bottom, he's, you know, uh, got some, playing some kind of recorder. I think someone up there behind, that's Bonhoeffer right in the middle. I think somebody's up there smoking a cigarette, like, hi, oh, you can't see me. Um, but you can just see, and you can look in their eyes and the joy and the optimism and the future that they all have. And in two and a half years, Bonhoeffer trained 67 disciple makers in his, uh, at Finkelwald. And it was eventually shut down by the Gestapo. After those two and a half years, everybody was scattered everybody was scattered. For the next 10 years, until he was executed in 1945, Bonhoeffer would write circular letters just to keep up with everyone who'd been connected with the movement. And and, and this was the way that he could get the latest news but also share the latest news with people who were connected to the movement. Um, They were resilient and they made disciples and multiplied from 67 disciple makers to 150. And of that 150, some lost their lives as martyrs in the war, as Bonhoeffer did. Some went on to start other seminaries, just like the one they'd come out of. Some became pastors, others carried on his legacy just by writing his biography and putting his writings together, things like life together or the cost of discipleship, all from that little picture of 10 years. Man, 10 years seems like so long, but it'll happen in the blink of an eye. Man, and what if you spent your 10 years pouring into somebody else? Understanding what it meant for them to be formed to look like Jesus, understanding what it meant for your life to matter to someone else and the multiplication impact that your life could have. I just want to share one last verse as we close. It's out of the book of Thessalonians, and Paul again is writing this. And Paul says this in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 19. He says, What is our hope or joy? Or a crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming, is it not you? It's what Paul points to, the people who he did disciple. It says, You are our glory and our joy. Right? It's not the fact that we did well. It's not the fact that we made our parents proud. It's not the fact that we got to be independent. It's not the fact that we were good moral citizens. What we'll joy and boast about in Jesus is the people that we disciple. It's time to move into a moment of prayer, a time of prayer. And I just want to set this up for us today. We want to be a house of prayer where we expect God to do certain things in prayer. And for you today, today maybe the day for you is just as stated to, to know Jesus. It's to really take a step to, to say, I, I've, I've played the cultural Christianity game. I've gone through the motions. I know the right things to say. I've got the slogans hanging on my wall home. But I don't follow Jesus. Today's the day for you. So I'm, we're going to have our prayer team up front. I'm going to invite you to come and let someone pray for you today. And that's your decision. Hey, here's another one that I think is really important that we, I don't ever want us to miss. It's baptism. Jesus told us to be baptized. It's, it's something that we do. If we're going to say we follow him, once we make a decision to follow him, then we get baptized. We're going to baptize next week. It's going to be epic. You're not going to want to miss it. But you will, you will regret. If you know that's you, if you know that's you, today's your day. Today's your day to take steps. and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be baptized. You know, you may be struggling with a health problem today. God says for us, if we're sick, to pray that God would heal us. Your marriage may be in the middle of a struggle today. You may be just there feeling depressed and anxious, just about some turmoil that's happening and swirling around you. And we would love to be able to pray for you. You may have a decision this week. You just want to invite God into it. You just want someone to pray for you. So I'm going to pray a brief prayer, and then we'll all stand to worship, and then we'll have our prayer team about be down here to pray for you. Hey, as I'm praying, they're going to come stand. You don't have to wait till we start singing. You can come on and let them pray for you. Let's bow our heads. God, we're just grateful that you're a God who answers prayer. And, Lord, I'm grateful that you're a God who just gives us this dignity of being able to expand your kingdom to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And, Lord, that we would just catch a vision for our lives to live beyond ourselves. Lord, that, man, the time that it will take and the weariness that we will experience, the relational conflict that may come, Lord, the problems we have to navigate are so worth it. God, I pray you give us a bigger vision of who you are, Lord, that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that waits for us. And God, that we just be a church that takes this seriously, Lord, not that we're going to get it right or get it perfect, Lord, but that we just, man, we just give everything we have with reckless abandon to follow your commands to make disciples. And we pray these things in the name of our King, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.